much here. I just got off um, from a Skype interview with Joseph Mares, one of my longtime friends, former classmate, colleague. We do have an amazing interview lined up for you. Um, he talks about his start at Riot Games before it was popular. We're talking internship. Um, like, I think it was like 07, maybe? Like, really early League of Legends. Um, how to navigate your career after school and during school. Uh, side routes into the industry, starting with QA. We go pretty deep. We cover a lot of stuff. Some of the most important stuff we talk about are how to uh, creatively collaborate with one another. Um, yes, and, and not uh, no buts. Um, really interesting take on game design and coming from improv to design and also coming from uh, wrestling and entertainment and looking through game design from an entertainer's lens. So um, hopefully you enjoy the interview and you take away something of value from it. So let's get into it. Thanks for watching. See you soon. Let's let's get started. So there are a few things that I wanted to ask you. The first thing was, um, let's let's go back to uh, just kind of where you started. Like, what made you want to get into games? Uh, so. Yeah, so I guess I'll introduce, like, I'm Joe Morris, and I'm a game designer. Uh, and I, the thing that made me want to go into games was I loved entertaining people. Like, I love creating engagement and creating tension and creating, like, moments for people. And I remember when I was a kid, uh, I you know those 25-cent machines that you have at the store? Yeah, like uh, the homies machine? Yeah, yeah, like the homies. When I was, like like five or six or whatever i made one out of cardboard <laughs> and uh because i wanted my parents to come in and put a quarter in and then i threw out like a little toy i had and i don't remember what happened it probably didn't work but i mean i just love creating moments for people i love creating experiences um and that manifested into me going to wrestling school first and then after I went to wrestling school, I was like, okay video game development is probably way easier than this <laughs> okay 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 so what made you correlate making the kind of quarter machine uh, to video games and to wrestling? Like, how do those connect? Well, they're they're all you're you're in all of those. You're um, creating an experience for people. You're creating a discovery moment. Um, you're getting them engaged, and then you're creating uh, a, a, some sort of discovery. Um, whether it's really short form, like creating a twenty-five cent machine, or Pro wrestling to me has always been very engaging because because of so many aspects of athleticism, the 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 storylines, the the characters, um, and so I really like that. And I wanted to have that same. I wanted to create that experience for other people the way wrestling did it for me. Uh, and same thing for video games. So to me, they're all the same. They're all about creating something for for the user, getting them engaged, making them care about it, and then giving them some kind of a cool moment that they could. You know that that aha moment, that fun moment, that pop. That to to me, they're all the same. The laugh, and so so I I kind of always since I was a kid, I've always seen like the there's I, to me they've always been connected, like every form of entertainment. So did you know that that they were all the same as a kid? Because I think that a lot of people don't realize that it's the same. Uh, no, you can you can only really connect it going backwards. I knew that I 
I liked creating a reaction in people no matter how I got it. Uh, whether it's um, from like, like I used to do stuff with my toys and surprise people <laughs> with it. Like I'd have toys hiding in different areas of the house and be like, cause I wanted to like create a moment and then watch someone go through it no matter how it manifested. Um, and so, so yeah, so to me, it's always been, I've always tried to do that in some way. And now looking back at it, probably when I was in my twenties is when I, like mid twenties was when I first realized it that, oh, they're all, they're all the same. The steps are all the same in how you engage an audience through any medium and platform and genre. Okay. So let's go back to you, you get into wrestling, right? Mm -hmm. So, so you wanted to be a pro wrestler before you knew anything about game design. Yeah. So the funny thing is, I think I was in eighth grade and um, I saw an EGM article about, I think it was Earthworm Jim. And, and I, and I, I was reading it and I saw like they were interviewing the game designer. And that's the first time I saw anything about like the game designer being a person. And I was like, that's gotta be impossible to do. Like, how do you become a game designer? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny now. Uh, I, it's like, I, I like, for sure, I thought that you had to be born, you know, into a certain family or for, from a certain part of the country, or you had to come from money or something like that. Like I knew it couldn't be me. <laughs> That's what I knew. <laughs> That's like the, the complete opposite of what I thought. I was like, really? yeah, yeah. Cause I was like, I'm totally going to be become a game designer no matter what, like nothing's going to stop me. And, but that was the only option though. Besides I wanted to also be an attorney too. And that I think is because I like fighting with people. I like arguing. <laughs> so I get to flex both of those muscles sometimes in design, <laughs> at least. Uh, yeah, that's true. You do that sometimes. Um, but but yeah, like I never thought, like I for sure wanted to do it, but I just like, there's no way I'm going to do it. You know, I'm not smart enough or whatever. Um, and then like probably a couple years later is when I, when I tried to like lower my standards a little bit, um, to, to some degree. And I said, well, you know what? I can do pro wrestling because that's a physical thing and I could do the physicality of it. And, um, and I, then that's kind of, to me, they were on the same level wrestling and games were both equal, equal to me, like in form of engagement and kind of things I want to do aspirations. So I'm like, well, I could probably be a wrestler. And so I trained for like years and I, I, and I, uh, I got in really good shape and then I saved a bunch of money and I went to wrestling school and it's like the hardest thing like ever to, for anyone to ever do. Um, and after I was done with wrestling school, I got out and was like, man, I could go be a game designer. <laughs> because wrestling was so hard. You gave me the confidence. Is that what yeah, happened? Yeah, I gave me the confidence because I was like, there's no way game design school is is harder than this for sure. And it wasn't. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And so, and then that gave me the confidence to go pursue it. And, um, a scan 16 years later and here I am. Okay. So, so, um, just to let the audience know, we met in game design school. So mm -hmm. how, how was your experience there? It was interesting because I had, I was already working at Activision and EA before I started school, um, doing QA. And so I was doing QA and going to school simultaneously. Um, so I kind of had already some knowledge of how the industry worked. So, uh, so I, so I really wanted to jump ahead. Like I wanted to jump ahead to producing and designing and, um, I, I love doing environment art and all that. I think that I thought that was cool and that's really good, um, to round out my education, but 
I wanted to get into like more production because I was looking at production at the same time. And so uh, for like major games, like I worked on Tony Hawk Pro Skater, Underground 2 and GoldenEye Rogue Agent uh, for like GameCube. So, um, so, so to, so in a, in a kind of a weird way, AI was almost like, like almost a step back. Like the school I went to was almost a step back because I was already in the industry. <laughs> so, okay. Um, I could, I could see where you're coming from there, but like a lot of people, especially who like graduate and go from uh, school into the industry and they kind of skip QA right mm -hmm. they kind of look down on qa like i skipped qa yeah i don't look down on qa now that i have experience but i could totally see other designers be like uh you know or like i don't want to go from the the basement of atvi or you know and and work your way up and i think there it breeds different people mhm mm yeah i definitely i loved starting at qa um, and for sure, when I was in QA, we were looked down on a bit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, so, but like, I, I, you know, for sure loved the experience. I, now when I deal with people in QA, I'm just like super, like, I give them all the attention that they, that they need. Like if they ask something, I'm like right there for them because I know what it was like when I was there and I was trying to raise concerns and nobody cared, you know, cause it's like, well, it's your opinion. Um, and and, and yeah. like I'm definitely not like that. Like whenever I talk to QA, I'm always like super respectful of them. I, I I appreciate what they do. And yeah, once you start seeing the entire game development process, you realize like how important QA is. And it's such a weird thing because QA was like when I applied to Activision in 2004, um, I applied to like six GameStops at the same time, and wow. I never got a call back from a GameStop. And Activision hired me. And I was like, how is it easier to get into Activision than it is to get into GameStop? Um, uh, so it's such a weird, the game industry is kind of weird in that like you could, QA is a kind of a really cool way to get in. And like a lot of producers come from QA. So it's like a really weird, like sideways trajectory into the game industry that I always recommend whenever a student asks me how to get into the game industry, yeah. like QA, like, oh, like QA is one of the, one of the first options I always say. Yeah, for sure. And I, I definitely agree with, agree with you with that. Um, so speaking of get QA going to production, I don't know. I always feel that whenever that happens, there's this moment, there's like a switch in 50%. There's like a good or evil. Like it's kind of like a, like a, uh, is this one going to be a rotten egg or is this one a good egg? Right? Like what do they do with their, their newfound power? Right? <laughs> like, did you experience that? Yeah, like uh, oh, where I was working, I won't say which which company. Um, there was definitely a lot of like cutthroatness in in the QA department. Like people were stealing each other's bugs, and people were were um, they would take like so if there's a bug where hey in in level one the gun jams when you try to use this weapon, right? And yeah. then in level two the gun jams when you try to use this weapon. In level three, and they'll extend it into like fifty bugs when it's really just one bug. Um, but because like your numbers mattered and a, uh, a project was ending and they're gonna lay everyone off and they only kept like the elite people. So there was a lot of like people like scrambling to survive. And I didn't like that part. I didn't like how some people were very like cutthroat and, and but like sometimes you go raise up in the ranks with that attitude. But from my experience, those are the people like, 
the game industry is so small, like it's so tiny that sooner or later, like you, you know, you're going to be interviewing that person and you're not going to want to work with them because of how they were versus the cool people who are really just kind of all about the process and creative collaboration and all that. Um, that at the end of the day, it's better because, because you, you, you're going to work with them eventually at some point down the road. So, so yes, there, there was that, there was good eggs and bad eggs coming from QA. It's, I think it, it has to do with the cutthroatness of it. They, they're very like, you know, climbing the corporate ladder rather than, you know, just being a good person. <laughs> so what, what else do you think breeds that culture? I, I think at the time it was, I, I'm not sure. I don't think it's like this now, but I, I'm, I don't know. I haven't worked in QA in a long time, but I think part of it is they just cared about numbers and they cared about like, um, they didn't care about the quality of bugs. They, it was more about like the number of bugs and um, also constantly laying people off after projects. Like you hire a whole team, you fire a whole team after three months. And yeah. I think that kind of like, that instability is is kind of to me that I, th I feel like that's the main culprit um uh the game industry is like very nomadic like you really have to uh i mean it's it's definitely not as stable as other industries i would say so um so i think that's part of it i think that that uh that just lack of job security is kind of what makes people tend to go to the dark side of it got it so the next question is, so we're in school and mm -hmm. you had the, this QA job and I don't think you told people really only a few people I think knew that you are working yeah. at the same at that time. Um, <laughs> but I think and you can tell me if I'm wrong, I think at one point you were going to school and working as two QA jobs. Or were you working as an intern and QA and school? What was yeah. It? So that was 2007. And I was going to school full time. Um, I was working uh, at a at a at Activision. <laughs> I'll just say it. I was working at Activision overnight, uh, overnight QA, which was like t I don't I don't remember. I think it was like we got out at six in the morning or midnight. I forgot. Um, no, no, I think it was I think it was midnight. Uh, and then I was interning at Riot Games as a, as associate producer. And then I was also for a, for a period as along with that, I was also teaching. Uh, oh, wow. I forgot school. you were teaching. I forgot you were teaching. Yeah. I was teaching high school in, in like Torrance, I think. So, um, so, and, and, and that was also, there's a, there's a, there's some classes called portfolio classes in school, which are like the most important classes you take that like, towards the end of your, of your, <clears throat> of your, your degree. And, um, I was late every, every, every class I was late an hour, like on the dot. And that was like the most strictest class with the most strictest, like you got to be industry ready, professional, blah, blah, blah. I was late an hour because when I would finish teaching the high school class, it was already time to be in my class like at, at, at our school. <laughs> and so I had to drive from Torrance to Santa Monica as fast as possible. And then I would get to the class like an hour late. So uh it was it was quite an adventure and i passed all my classes that year um that that semester and uh school was great my what i was teaching and then i had to, i had to leave right at that point because i was doing too much um but it was yeah it was it was crazy schedule so let's let's get into to riot because i i'm like 
oh my gosh, you were there at the cutting edge floor. And for me, I was like, oh, why did you leave Riot? Like, you could have, <laughs> you could be like a multimillionaire right now, I think. Uh, yeah, probably. I don't know. Um, yeah, Riot was, Riot was cool. I mean, the, I believe at the time, like Mark Merrill and, um, oh my God, I forgot his name. The other co-founder, I'm sorry, I forgot his name. Uh, uh, they were, uh, they were like 25 or something at the time, the two owners. And, um, from the beginning, when I first heard the pitch, uh, my, my buddy Brian was the producer there and, like I knew, I was like, "Oh, this is like super cool," because no one was really doing tri- microtransactions at the time, and um, and so just the way it was set up, the the premise of of the game, like I knew it was gonna be like super cool. Like I knew it was gonna, I didn't know it was gonna be like filling football stadiums, but I knew it was gonna be like really cool. Uh, and so I'm glad I I got to work on it. I directed the animations of like the first forty heroes. Um, like most, the animations are still in there. Uh, uh, I recorded myself like doing the dances and the Jax's moves with a stick and all that. And um, those animations are still there today. And so that's kind of cool. Uh, I also named the game uh, League of Legends. Um, so that's all really cool. The, the, I, but I've, like, people often ask me, like, oh, aren't you, like, bummed that you didn't, you yeah. know, you're not, like, a billionaire now? Um, and, uh, you'd be like, yeah, like, money's cool and all that. But, like, but I also knew from, from when I was there that they weren't going to work on anything else. Like, I knew this was, like, their thing. And it was definitely really super you, knew, you knew that they weren't going to make any other other games. I mean, now they have three games out because they have Valorant and Team Four, um, uh, Team oh. Fight Tactics, yeah. and um, Legends of Runeterra. So they have three additional games. Yeah, they're still in the League universe for the most part. Oh, is it? Yeah, I haven't. I haven't for Valorant. Um, but I knew for a while they weren't going to work on anything else, and. I wasn't the biggest fan of of mobile games, um, and I want like as you can see through the rest of my career, like I like working on different stuff. Like I get very restless. Like I want to work on like Got weird, it. cool stuff. And so I so I didn't want to work on the same game for a long time. Um, but I'm like like I learned every like there's a guy who works there. Um, uh, not the Jeff Jew was really cool, but there's another guy who works there, Paul Beleza, and he taught me so much about game design like how to be like a cheerleader, how to be creatively collaborate, how to have like a good attitude. It's like, it ends up being one of the most important things for a game designer. And he taught me so much. So um, so I, I'm indebted forever to Paul Beleza for kind of being a good role model for me. Is it Beleza with a, with a B or a P? Uh, Beleza, B-E-L-L-E-Z-Z-Z-A, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so I learned a lot there. It was, it was a really cool experience. How long, how long were you there for? I think you were there for a long time, right? Yeah, I think I was there for uh, like nine, nine or ten months. That's um, a long time. Yeah, it was, yeah, I, yeah. I was just I was doing like so many things simultaneously, uh, but um, but the cool part was that like, and I, this was totally unintentional, but like, it do, it did help me get a bunch of other jobs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's... So, I mean, let's let's talk about that. Um, but before we do, I wanted to ask you one other thing. Like, what was the thing that you took from school that was like good? That was good. Yeah. My meeting you, Hutch. Of course. Okay. Awesome. Uh, Love it. 
Next question. Let's keep going. <laughs> I don't want to ruin the compliment. Um, uh, the other thing was, so right now, right, we have this COVID situation going on. Mm-hmm. Um, what is, what was, what's your advice for new people, right? Like if you're a student, right, you just graduated high school, your class of 2020, and mm-hmm. you're like, oh, do I go to college? Do I want to do videos? college do i want to go right i want to be a game designer what, what do i do um i would do two things one i would figure out if you know for sure what you want to do in the game industry then i would start doing it right now like if you know you want to be a programmer or you want to be a concept artist or you want to be a game designer like there you can just go on youtube and start, unity is free uh like you could just go i think blender's free like uh, you could just go right now and just start making stuff and doing tutorials and things like that. Uh, f- my favorite advice I got from Jesse Shell, uh, who's a game designer uh, legend. Uh, he said that, you know, if you want to be a game designer, go make a, go take 30 minutes and make a paper card game, make a paper board game right now. Because if you don't enjoy that process now, when you have a team and millions of dollars, you're not going to enjoy it then. And it's going to be more costly. Um, so, so you can go make something right now. So I would advise doing that. If you're not sure of what you want to do um, and, or, or even what the roles are of game design, then I would go to school so you can be exposed to everything and you can start figuring out what it is that resonates with you. Um, so that would be a, my, might be advice. If you know what you want to do for sure, go and do it. If you're not sure what to do, then go to school, get connections, and then start figuring out what it is that, that, that really calls to you. Nice. So we were talking about how league led to a bunch of other opportunities for you in your career. Yeah. What What were some of those opportunities? What are the, what are the highlights? Uh, definitely the 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 highest highlight is I got to work on a project for Walt Disney Imagineering, which was like my for me is the ultimate in creativity. Walt Disney is my hero. I've always wanted to do work with Imagineering. And uh, I got to work on a project, um, I think in 2011 or 12, um, which which was like a which was like a role playing game that we did in the park, which uh, apparently was a model for the the thing that they're doing in the park now with the Star Wars land, the the interactive game uh, or something like that. That's what I've heard through the grapevine. Um, so, but but that definitely that was like the coolest thing um, to work with Imagineering and talk to a lot of Imagineers and. That that's definitely one of the highlights. Uh, I also uh, was the lead interaction designer for Jurassic World VR Expedition, which was at all the Dave and Buster's, and so that was like a really cool thing to to you know to work with some some people at Universal and work on a big IP like that. And then it was a virtual reality motion simulator, and it was at all the Dave and Buster's. It was the biggest uh, VR um, <clears throat> launch at once. I think it was like 150 locations or something like that, like on the same around the same time, like same week or something. Uh, that was really cool. Uh, and then I've got to, like, I had like small childhood stuff. Like I always wanted to work on a Ninja Turtles game and I did a Ninja Turtles puzzle game for mobile. And I got to work with, uh, I got to work with the writer there to help do the story. And then I worked with the voice actor for, um, I keep forgetting his name, but he did Raphael. Oh, and, nice. And he was, he was, uh, he was, uh, Gimli. Sorry for people who are fans of Lord of the Rings. I, I, didn't, I don't watch it that much. He was the guy with Frodo. Yeah. Is that, is Kim, that Kim, Kim Lee's with people, but they're Sam. 
Sam, Sam, Sam Weiss. You Sam Weiss? Yeah, I forgot his actor's name. I'm super sorry for that. Um, but but I met him and we were in the you know the recording studio. He was super cool. Um, so that was like a really cool. That was a really cool moment. Um, and then also starting my own game developer. Like uh, I I I've worked. I work on my own uh, as well. And I, I get my own contracts and, and stuff like that, um, especially for a period a couple of years ago. That was really, that's really fun and liberating to decide your own schedule and, you know, do the work that you want to do and, and um, figure out how you're going to, you know, get some okay. new, make everything work. So I have some questions. So like mm -hmm. when you go from working for other people to working with yourself, how is that transition? Were you scared? Like what were the, the scariest moments in your career? Like the, the moments that made you be like, oh God, what's gonna happen? Am I gonna pay uh, rent? What's going on here? The, you know, it's the, the, definitely there's like, again, like the game industry, sometimes they scale up projects and then they scale them down and you don't have enough time to react. So there's moments like that, but those have never really scared me that much. I, I think it's just because I'm so used to it. Um, but the, I think one of the scarier parts is uh, I, I can't say anything specifically, but um, we were going to give a presentation to a big studio who 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 haven't seen anything for like two or three months. Mm -hmm. And I would I just started. So I wasn't sure what was new or not. And like five or 10 minutes before these big wigs came in, I found out that nothing was new. We had nothing to show. <laughs> well, so you started. Yeah. And then they're like, hey, you have to do this presentation or whatever. And then yeah, I was, I was part of it, yeah. you had no. Wow. And I thought I thought we were showing them a bunch of new stuff. And then I found out like before the, just before the presentation that there was they saw it all before. How many how many months was I think it was. Sorry. I mean, how many months was it? Yeah. How many months um, before the uh, publisher saw the, those features that you were saying were new? between when you arrived do you know what that amount of time was it was i think it was like two months it might have been three months so that that's definitely an unacceptable amount of time to show nothing new <laughs> definitely is definitely is um can you say what the publisher was who the publisher no okay no i'm pretty sure i can uh were they upset yes they were they were you know the funny part was that me and the producer were like okay we're, we have nothing to show, nothing mm. new to show at all. Maybe they'll come in in a good mood. Like maybe they'll be like, oh, hey, all right, let's let's go team. And maybe we'll just like yeah. work off that energy. They came in and, they, and they're, the first thing they asked for was what's new. <laughs> and what did you say? How do you respond to that? Uh, I think the producer jumped in and he started saying like, oh, we've been, oh, we've been like working on some new stuff, ideas, something like he, he started like kind of trying to buy time and and talk about the process rather than showing anything um at the end it came out okay that that meeting was was okay because we kind of we kind of talked about what we were working on even though we couldn't show it um but that project ended up shipping on time and it was it was it was good so so at the end of the day everything worked out well just that day was that morning was like we both like we both made the same joke about jumping out of the window Wow. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh man. So. So, uh, and you got hired on as a, a producer as well, or were you hired on as a designer? What was your role that one, on that project? Uh, that one, I was I was a designer on, but I was responsible for 
like the new designs that were going in. Um, so, <clears throat> so I was, I was equally on the hook as the producer, uh, even though I had just started. Um, yeah. So there was, there's no way out of that one. <laughs> wow. Uh, so let's, let's talk about your transition from working for other people to working for yourself. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it actually wasn't that big of a transition because, um, I was working the job I was doing at the, at the time, like, uh, you know, like five, six years back, I was already kind of doing everything. Like I was talking to the client and I was producing and I was designing and I was doing, um, animation and art, um, direction a little bit. I wasn't in charge of the animation or, or the art, but I was giving direction just based off my experience. Um, and so I kind of had my hands in everything. Uh, and I was like designing like the editor, uh, alongside the programmer. So I was doing a little bit of everything and, and I realized like, well, you know what? I could probably, if I just pushed a little harder, I could just, just do the contracts myself and, and get, and get some, get some work on my own. And so I, so, uh, it was a little rough for a couple of years, like, cause you have to, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta put yourself out there. You gotta talk to a lot of people. You gotta network a lot and you have to, and then you have to show like the work that, that you're capable of doing this type of work. So it took a long time. It, it, you know, it takes a really long time talking to people and, and, uh, and, and show, and, and, you know, just, just kind of convincing them that like, you look, I've done this work before, blah, blah, blah. Especially if you're a new studio and you're unproven, it's even harder because you don't have like a backlog of decades of doing this, like, like EA or something like that. You know, they don't, they don't even have to convince anyone. Um, so if you, if you're, if you're an unproven young studio, it's really hard, but you just gotta like be like persistent and, uh, and just keep, just keep talking to people and keep networking. And, um, and then at that point it wasn't that big of a difference because it was similar to what I was doing. I was talking to the client, I was doing the, doing the scheduling and the producing and the budgeting and the design. And, and, uh, because I've been working in the industry so long, I know all kinds of like artists and animators and all that. So when it comes to hiring people, it's there, that wasn't much of a process because I knew who I wanted to work with. So it was pretty easy. Um, at that point, it's just, I had to learn the new skill of, of, uh, the, all the business corporate legally stuff that that's part that actually, that is the hardest part for me. So how did you approach learning those skills? I just talked to my mentor. Um, I had someone who was above me who had run his own business and I asked him a bunch of questions. Uh, and I, uh, talked to a bunch of different like lawyers and stuff whenever I got the chance. And, uh, I hired a couple of lawyers whenever I had the money. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's just, <laughs> uh, so it's just, it's just like, yeah, just researching as much as you can, talking to people, um, going online and then hiring people once you, once you have like the budget for it. So it takes, it took a while. It took, I'd say it took like three years to properly set up and finally get going. Um, yeah. So like during, overall. so during that time, were you still working for other people when you had to? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've always been working. I've never stopped working. <laughs> uh, I've always, yeah, I've always been working on, on with either other clients or, or yeah, other companies or, or building, yeah, just making games all the time. And, but I've always done that. Even when I was in school, I was always working on indie games when I was going to school and working in the game industry. So I've always yeah. kind of been doing this entire cycle of, um, just constantly working on things. Um, the other question I, I have for you was. How did you find your mentor? 
Um, he, uh, he was, he was my boss, uh, at this company I worked at. And then he started his own company right after, and he hired me on as the first employee and he was doing everything I wanted to do. You know, he was running his own studio. He was like doing his own contracts, kind of what I'm doing now. And so, and so that was, so that one kind of fell into my lap. <laughs> Got it. So and you're I just like, I don't want to do what you're doing. I'm just going to talk to you. Yeah. And yeah. And like, I don't know, like if, uh, if you're nice about it, like no one's going to say no, like figure it out yourself. You know, like most people are, are good about it. And I, I've, I've, I myself have mentored at women in games international and, uh, I, when I did teaching, uh, so I, I, so I love, I kind of like, there's that plus minus equal, uh, system that I, some MMA fighter came up with, I forgot his name, but basically you kind of always want to have someone equal to you at your level, someone ahead of you, and then someone like beneath you that you're mentoring. So you ha kind of have this like learning cycle going from all, all different directions. And so I like doing that. I like mentoring people. I like having a mentor and I like, um, talking to my peers about business development and things like that. Awesome. So the next question I was going to ask is, um, what skills did you take from all these different jobs and how, how do they, how did they get you to where you are with having your own development company? Um, just, uh, so for example, like teaching, like how did, how did that play into? Well, it, it's interesting. Teaching is to like teaching is the same as, uh, as designing games where, cause in games, you're just constantly learning systems and then you're being rewarded for it. Uh, and to me, that's always, that's like teaching. You're, you're constantly like teaching people stuff and then you kind of test them on it and then you challenge them. And that's like what games are. <laughs> so, so look, I, so I kind of like see the same parallels with teaching and, and game development. I would say that the the thing that really changed changed the game up for me no pun intended is uh well, i went to improv school for a bit for like a year um and that really taught me how to do creative collaboration with people uh, and uh for if you're doing game development like like it's it's much more than everyone coming in with their expertise and executing on it you also, everyone has to like, feel like they're creating it. You have to feel like you're being heard and you have to feel like you're making an impact. And, um, and then you, and everyone, the product ends up getting better. And, um, I learned that in improv school is, is that, uh, how to yes and people and how to, how to, how to effectively listen to people and how to, um, how to, how to like get ideas from everywhere and how to make every, like raise all ships, make everyone better. Um, and, and so that's, that, that actually was probably one of the things that really upped of my, my career, um, was doing that. Like, so I, I would recommend like taking improv if you want to be a game designer. All right. So I want to learn more about these things. Um, I, I talked to you before and you explained this before, but some of the viewers might not know, um, what is this? Yes. And improv philosophy and how does that apply to games? So, so yes. And is, is basically, uh, an improv, like you don't want to say if you're there's this there's this famous example where um uh this comedian who wasn't an improviser she was on stage with an improviser and they're having like this couple's argument and then uh the 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 male performer says you know what about our kids and then the female comedian says we don't have any kids and she 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 didn't yes and him she no but him so so basically 
the flow that he was trying to create, she killed it. She got a laugh, but now you've killed the integrity of the scene and your characters and everything, you know? Uh, and now as the male performer, I don't feel safe saying anything because, you know, I, I don't know what you're going to say. And the, the topic of yes and really is about creating psychological safety. Uh, if you have psychological safety, then people are, are free to be more creative. People are free to express themselves and they're, they're not afraid to share ideas and they're not afraid to be their most creative selves. But if you create an atmosphere that's restrictive and judging and all that, people aren't going to give you their best and they're not even going to attempt to do it and they're not going to speak up. And you get like, you don't get to the really cool deep ideas that people might have. Uh, and that's why I like Yes And because Yes And creates that psychological safety so everyone can feel included and everyone can give their best. And Yes And is basically never saying no like always saying, uh, if somebody says an idea, how about we have the character, you know, have three boss battles in this one level? You say, okay, like, how would that work? Don't say like, no, that's dumb, one boss. No, you say like, oh, how would that work? How do you see that? Would that make it, would that make our production? You Like you explore it, you know, you don't just shut them down. All right, I think I need to take improv classes because uh, <laughs> I, I know but a lot. Uh, so how do you how do you get around it when people say really stupid things because there's a lot of times where people say stuff that is like way not even out of left field just like mm -hmm. wrong like if it's like right like two plus two does equal four it doesn't equal seven no matter how much you try yeah i think the thing to remember that to me the most important thing is I don't want to lose people's trust and I don't want to make people feel constrained or feel like they don't have autonomy, you know? And so if someone says something like, can we make it for the Atari 2600? I would, I would say like, okay, I don't want to say no, but I was like, okay, well, let, let's, let's, let's table that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> let's table that. You gotta, you gotta have that in the back pocket. <laughs> yeah. And it's, 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 it's not a, a hard no. You know, but it's, you know, th there's, there's two ways to do it. Um, I either do that or I, I say, um, I, I, I start exploring it so that the answer is obvious that I don't have to actually say what it is. So if I, if you say, oh, Atari 2600, are, are there enough active users that could cover the sales that we're going to need to develop it for 2600? I start like exploring it a little more and then the truth of the idea starts coming out the more you explore it and then you don't have to say no at that point yeah so, they'll shut it down themselves yeah exactly hopefully and and you keep the psychological safety intact which to me is the most important thing it's always been the most important thing psychological safety yeah i've, I've never considered that ever <laughs> ever i'm just like oh geez that, that makes a lot of sense now <laughs> in hindsight I in hindsight <laughs> upset a few people few individuals yeah um so speaking about upsetting individuals how is um this i don't want to say cancel culture but that's kind of the appropriate term it's like <laughs> like is there like any way you've changed in terms of like dealing with people in terms of like maybe even handling yourself with the whole I don't even want to say, I don't even want to say cancel culture, but that's the only term I could think of. Uh, you know, this day and age, I feel like everyone's really sensitive sometimes. 
uh, I don't know if that's affected how you operate working with people. Nah, I don't, I don't think it ever has because everything I design, it's, it's always user first. And that's actually why I started my company is because, um, I've always, I always want like the experience and the, even since I was a kid, I've always want the experience and the user's, um, enjoyment to be number one. And if the person is going to find any friction anywhere, then I haven't done my job. So, I mean, I've always been super hard on myself. Um, and so that I probably don't notice if, <laughs> if people are being more critical because no one could be as critical on my stuff as me. Uh, but, um, but yeah, so I so I haven't I haven't I've I've it's not affected my day to day in any way, probably because I'm so like zoned in already on every detail of what I do. I'm like super critical of myself, so I got it. I got it taken care of for myself. Got it. <laughs> that that whole side, yeah. Uh, so what are you working on now? Uh, I can't talk about any of it. <laughs> not of it at all. Okay. No. So what was Fine. the last thing that you worked on that you can talk about? The last thing I worked on that I can talk about is uh, I I designed a board game with Nolan Bushnell, the um, the uh, the inventor of Atari and Chuck E. Cheese. Um, uh, he he called me up one day. <laughs> I was at Whole Foods, and uh, and uh, he said, "Hey, I I want to work on a, a board game, and uh, you were recommended by some peers." And I was like, "Cool." So. Uh, I started working with him, and we made this. Yeah, we made this game called uh, Saint Noir, and it won the uh, CES Innovation Award for this year, 2020. And um, it it was pretty cool. Uh, it it didn't come out exactly how I wanted, but um, I think, you know, doing like an Alexa board game with Nolan Bushnell, it's hard to, uh, and it's hard to be upset about that. <laughs> so that's yeah. like the latest thing I could talk about. Yeah. For sure. So how was it different than how you wanted it to turn out? Well, um, so originally I had wanted, um, and I should do an unboxing of it because it's still, it's still sealed, but do it right originally. Now. <laughs> Pull it out. No. No? no okay. No. Uh, there's only, there's only 15 minutes left or whatever, whatever time frame you have. Um, so the, the game works where, it's like, uh, it's an unlimited amount of players. You could have like one to eight players or whatever, but it doesn't really matter because in between you could talk to each other and then say an answer and then you discuss more clues and then you say an answer whenever Alexa is telling you about the story of the murder or whatever. And originally everyone was a different detective and, um, and it was a little more oh. interesting because if you, you, the thing was you wanted to solve it before the other detectives. Got it. Right. So you'd hold but on you, to clues. Yeah. You could start putting stuff together on your own, but in a way that you didn't, other people didn't get the same information. So you'd kind of ask other people questions, the other suspects questions to make other people think that you were onto a different path when you already had this other idea over here. Um, and then if you, if you guess too soon, the murderer kills another person and then you get fired. Uh, and so you kind of wanted to time it right. You wanted to make sure you had enough information, but you didn't want to make sure that everyone had a bunch of information where they would figure it out also. So um, that was the original design. This design, everyone is saying the answer at the same time. Like you discuss it with your friends and then you say, oh, let's ask this person. And then you discuss it with your friends. So it takes out that competitive aspect that I thought was really, really cool. Um, so that, that, was, that was kind of 
So I, I really wanted that. And so yeah. it went from competitive to like purely co-op. Yeah, it's purely co-op. Uh, yeah, and so it's it's a little more like a little more family friendly, which I'm which I'm glad about too. Um, but that original version was was really tense. <laughs> yeah, I could see that being a little bit more engaging. Um, so speaking of engaging, mm -hmm. I know you have a, a theory about fun and engaging an element in your in your theory. So do you mm -hmm. want to go over your, your theory? Yeah, I, I could go over the, the high level of it. Um, I'm in the middle of writing a book, which I've been writing for eight years. Uh, and so hopefully I'll be releasing it within a year because uh, I still want to add some stuff to it. But <clears throat> the fun theory is, um, so this is based off of my time working in the game industry for 16 years and, you know, doing dabbling in pro wrestling and improv and stunt work and, uh, and imagineering and stuff. Uh, so basically, um, there, there are four steps to making something fun. The first one is, is uh, resonating, uh, making something clear. So the person has to understand what's going on, and they need to, or at the very least, they have to understand what the premise is. Like, this is a baseball game. This is a haunted house, mm -hmm. whatever. They have to know what it is. Or uh, even better, they have to care about it. It has to resonate with them. Like, oh, this is a game about a pro wrestler. You know, like, okay, that resonates with me, you know. So that's the, the better end of it is it resonates. The lower end is like they have to just understand what's going on. Got that's it. the first step in everything. <clears throat> Second step is, uh, is engagement. Engagement is, is about focus. And if the person isn't focusing on what you're doing, when they hit the punchline, it's not going to land. Um, if, they don't, if they don't care about their farm in Farmville, then they're, they're out of the core loop of the game. Uh, and so if, if you're, if you're not engaging them in, uh, an interesting story, interesting characters, mechanics that are very timely, uh, game mechanics that are timely, um, anything like that, then you, then you've lost them. So first step is, is resonate clarity. Second step is engagement. Um, third step is tension. Tension always comes before the fun, before laughing, before the aha moment, before the pop, before any of that. Tension, um, you have to, tension basically means that <clears throat> something is going to happen and you don't know exactly what's going to happen. Um, and there's some, there's usually stakes involved. Like the character is going to die. Mario's not going to make the jump. Uh, <clears throat> something like that. Or you're going to roll a die and you'll see like, oh shoot, am I going to defeat the dragon or am I going to die or whatever. So there's always tension. Um, and you can't know what the answer is for sure, but you have some idea of it. <clears throat> um, and then the fourth step is what make, is is the fun part, and it's discovery. Discovery is what makes something fun, um, and it's specifically discovery because um, it has to be true to the world or true to the world that you're building. If it's not, then it's it ends up being like that that joke I said earlier, where where she said we don't have any kids. Like that might have got a laugh because it was it was a surprise, but a surprise and a discovery are two different things. A, anyone could surprise anyone at any time, but a discovery is much more satisfying of an ending. And it's and because it's true to the world that you've created, that's what makes it even more fun. So um, uh, let's see if I can think of an example of that, of that loop. Um, let's see. <laughs> yeah, for yeah, if you're playing like Dungeons and Dragons and you're like, oh shoot, I need to get, I don't know, I've never played it, but I need to get like a six. <laughs> Jeez, to, to be, there's going to be a lot of angry nerds out there, dude. They're like, you never played D&D. <laughs> How can How you, you be a game designer? 
Get him. <laughs> Throw the dice at me. No. Um, Fireball. <laughs> uh, uh, but like if you if you hit like the six or whatever, mm-hmm. then that's a that's a that's a discovery moment because it's a six is something you can roll and it's something that would win or whatever. <clears throat> yeah, um, they, they rolled twenty sided dice, so so oh. six isn't even <laughs> six is bad. If you roll a six, you're you're punching yourself in the face, probably. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So, so discovery is something that is true in the world, and usually, like magic is really can really get away with this because they're operating with real world rules. So everything they do is a discovery because it's in the real world. But with like games and comedy and and kind of more made up media, uh, that's kind of what that why that specificity is there because um, there there was like a weird trend for a while of of people saying random things like and that was the joke was saying something random uh and yeah the whole family guy era oh yeah yeah it would just be like cut to a random side story that's like completely random yeah i think that that's that's part of it or that's what started it yeah i think that's what started it and it's it's funny because it's a surprise but it's not satisfying because it's not a discovery like like seinfeld is really good at making discovery moments because everything always ties in to each other. <laughs> like the world yeah. always revolves around it in a certain way. Yeah. And so those are legit discovery moments because like the Frogger episode when he's he's playing like Frogger and yeah. he's the high scorer. And at the very end, he is Frogger. Yeah, he's like, trying to go through traffic. <laughs> and so um, and and there's a there's a quote by Joan Rivers where she says, it's funny because it's true. And in a nutshell, that's what it is. It's it's discovery is truth. Discovery is something real that's going on in the world. It's not random and it's not it's not made up. You know, it's it's real. And so if you could cut tension with a moment that is true to the world you're creating, that is in a nutshell is what will make something fun. And of course, there's like a lot of details in how all that works and and around all that, which I which I'm writing a book on right now. But in a nutshell, that's what makes something fun. Got it. Well, that was pretty awesome. I think I think this is a good spot to to wrap it up, just because you ended on your other note. But well, actually, so when we were talking, you were talking about saying that you were going to start up another podcast again. Yes? No? Am I announcing something too soon? How did you touch? No. Um. Yeah. I, I I'm gonna. It's it's videos. I put the first one up last night, actually. Oh. So, um, Watch out. Yeah. <laughs> I told him I wanted to make a video, and then he's like, "I'm posting one today, tonight, son. You can't beat me. Uh, Forget no, you, Ninja. That's my uh, fun theory, guys. It's well, evolved since then. I've told people about that too. How it's like it's pretty. It's it's got legs, you know. There's it, legs it, to it. There's legs to it, but it's an element. It's really just the tension part of your theory. Because that's that's the 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 element. It's just the tension. It's just oh, I can't. There's an obstacle. I see the obstacle. I want to defeat it. Yeah. And I have the tools to do it. How do I figure it out? Right. And that's the discovery is the figuring out how to yeah. you know overcome the obstacle. Yeah. But, there, there's yeah. There's some other theories too that are pretty good. Um, there's Scott Rogers, who's a really he's a good friend of mine, and he's a really big game designer. Um, pretty legendary. He his his is that people, players want to do three things. They want to either be powerful, be rich, or or be smart. Yeah, I, I heard this pretty, theory. That's pretty solid too. 
Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Um, but uh, so we're well, getting back to your thing. Yeah, I'm. Uh, it's called Funtrepreneur Inc. And uh, it's the YouTube. I I just started. I just uploaded it last night, and I'm gonna do more videos. So I had a podcast like in 2011, 2012, where I interviewed a bunch of game designers. Um, I did that for a couple of years, and then I had a podcast in 2015 called What Makes It Fun, where I interviewed like Disney Imagineers and animators and comic book writers, and I I did about like 12 episodes or something of that one. And then um, I was Hutch helped me filmed a, a documentary on what makes it fun, interviewing more people. And so I basically have all this content <laughs> that's kind of yeah. I around. did that. I I helped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was great. Uh, and uh, so I have all this content that I've been wanting to package up. And I finally, uh, thanks to COVID, I finally have time to um, package it up in the way I've always wanted to. So all of these interviews and stuff I've done over like the last decade, I'm starting to package them up and put them as videos and articles on a website I'm working on. Uh, and then also my book would be on that website as well. So that's coming up hopefully in the next few months. Nice. Is there any final thoughts you want to leave to people? Um, for, you know, for game designers, uh, there's a really great tip that I got from, from, from Jesse shell that really helped me a lot in, I had been a designer for like three years at the time. And I was feeling like, oh, I, I don't know what I'm doing still, <laughs> uh, which, <laughs> which I'm sure like a lot of designers get. And um, and I got to interview him and he said that, you know, at the, for, uh, the front of one of his books, uh, I forgot what it's called, uh, for game design, uh, he said that like, all you need to know is that you're a game designer. You're making the decisions of a game designer and you are a game designer. Like, don't doubt yourself, you know, you you are one already. And it's it's weird because like, Sometimes you need to hear that. You need to hear that you can do it. You know, you need to hear that there's nothing else you need to know. You can always get better, but it, but um, but if sometimes it's just yourself stopping you from doing what you want to do. So if you're out there and you want to be a game designer, just start making games and you're a game designer. There it is. And now take that confidence and go start building some cool stuff. Awesome. Thanks for coming. Thanks for being a part of this. Yeah. I know this is great. hopefully people appreciate it. I think they will. I think you gave some really good gems. And I think even veterans can learn from you. I think I learned today too. So <laughs> yes. And yes. And yes. And, um, cool. And, uh, thanks. Thanks again, man. Appreciate you. Yeah. This was great. Thanks a lot. Hutch. All right. Bye. Bye. All right, we just had our interview with uh, Joe Mares, friend of mine. We went to school together. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed that uh, little insight, little in-depth look. Um, I'm gonna sign off, and uh, you know, you guys have a good Saturday Saturday night. Thanks. <laughs>